Are you in a position where you're defined by your age and that's limiting you to pursue a dream or goal you want to accomplish? The More Than Your Age podcast is about having conversations with women who fully live their lives without being dictated or defined by their age. This is a space to encourage women who feel blocked to pursue a dream or goal based on their life circumstances. Welcome to the More Than Your Age podcast. I am your host, Erica Pazbard. Let's start living life fully and become more than your age. After leaving the teaching profession, I got a job in human resources at uh, a school district, so still working in education. And while I was working there, I knew I wanted to grow or um, have opportunities for leadership positions down the road. And in education, in order to um, be recommended for a higher position, you need to earn your master's and get it. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to pursue that. And um, But at the same time, I was a little hesitant because I was like, oh my gosh, I think it's been like 10, 11, 12 years removed since I took my undergrad. Um, And like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I remember taking my first class. So I decided to do it. I took my first class and I was freaking out because I was like, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. And I had a very wise friend who said to me, you know what, Erica, if you do this now, you, you know, once you complete this program, two years, right? Two years are going to pass and you're going to look back and you can either one, look back and say, I'm so glad I did this. Or two, you can look back and say, man, I could have completed this in two years and now two years has passed. Well, this very wise friend um, has encouraged me in a multitude of ways, was right. So I decided to pursue this and um, get my master's. And what's funny about this is that this very wise friend is actually the daughter of Kathy Gisler, who is the woman I'm in interviewing today. She decided to pursue her master's um, when she was in her mid-30s. And after, you know, being removed for X amount of years, and you'll get to hear her story, but this is actually part one of two episodes of of two women who uh, decided to pursue counseling as a profession after staying home as a mother for 10 plus years. Um, I know you'll enjoy this episode. Hi, Kathy Gisler. Welcome to the More Than Your Age podcast. Well, good morning. It's so good to talk with you, Erica. I am so excited to talk with you, Kathy. I um, so you know your daughter is one of your daughters is a very very close friend of mine, and she actually was one of the first friends people really that I spoke with about starting this podcast. And of course, it was a huge encourager. And as we were talking about it, she recommended interviewing you. She said, "Oh my gosh, you're going to have to interview my mom because she fits this to the T." And <laughs> so I said actually, yes, I'm going to write her name down. And I'm going to reach out to her when it's time. And so thank you to Laura for one, encouraging, encouraging me for the podcast and two, connecting the two of us together for the podcast. Ah, absolutely. <laughs> I am so proud of her. It's wonderful when you grow up and you see your kids grow up and become adults that you absolutely enjoy spending time with and are so proud of. Oh, absolutely. And she's just a gem. Obviously, you know that, but just as a friend, I mean, the wisdom that she provides and the insight on so many things is, it's huge. It's, you know, a testament to you raising her and then her character as well. <laughs> so Laura, well, if you're listening, you. we love you, Laura. Uh, <laughs> yes, well, Kathy, we so Kathy, on to you. Um, before we get started, would you just state your age and share your pro- uh, profession that you're in and for how long you've been in it? 
I am 61. In two months, I'll turn 62. I am a licensed professional counselor here in Texas, and I have been a professional counselor for just over 20 years. So that's a good amount of time. Mm -hmm. It is. I absolutely love what I do. Well, I'm glad that you do. And also, I'd love for you to just share briefly with the listeners um, a little intro of where you came from and then talk a little bit about your family, too. Um, I spent the first 55 years of my life living in Illinois, and um, I started out as a music teacher professionally. And after having a couple of kids, after having one kid, I went down to part-time. And then after my second child was born, I quit teaching altogether, which was never part of the plan. Um, but I wanted to be a full-time mom after having kids. And so I did that. I was a full-time stay-at-home mom for a really long time. We ended up um, becoming a foster and then adoptive family. Um, during that time, I went back to grad school, got my master's degree, squeezed a two-year program into five years because I did it part-time instead of, of going full-time. Um, and then um, have just joined this counseling profession, which I absolutely love. Then did that in Illinois for about 15, almost 15 years, 14, 15 years. Then about seven years ago, my husband's work changed and we are Illinois escapees and now <laughs> are, are Texans. And so I've been working here in Texas um, most of the time. We lived in Austin area for a couple of years. We took a two-year sabbatical is what I call it. We, his work changed and we were up in Oklahoma for two years. And now we're back here in Texas for the last two and a half. You, you mentioned that you were a music teacher mm -hmm. and that was, is that what you went to school for? Mm -hmm. My bachelor's degree is in vocal music education. And so I did that for several years. And then I've always been involved in music up until recently um, at church, choir director, um, worship leader, stuff like that. Oh, wow. So were you, I'm um, assuming, were you, was that a big part of your life as a child as well growing up? I always sing and I love doing that kind of thing. Um, I kind of liked the center of the spotlight when I was younger. And so... Um, <laughs> I just, I, from the time I was in junior high on, I always knew that I loved music. I loved going to choir. And that was what I wanted to do is be a music teacher. And so that was what my bachelor's degree is in. Now, where did you teach at when you taught music? We lived in a small town in central Illinois called Decatur. Um, it's a very lower socioeconomic area, very agricultural and industrial. And so that's where I worked for about, I'm trying to remember, it was probably seven years that I, I taught music, both full and part-time. Um, worked in mostly elementary, a little bit in junior high, which was, I actually like teaching the junior high kids. They're a lot of fun. They're, they're changing from child to teen and not sure who they are from moment to moment. But that was part of what I, I loved about teaching is working with the kids and especially the ones who'd come after school and they'd say, Mrs. Gissler, can you help me with this? And we'd start, but mostly what they wanted was somebody to listen to them and pay attention to them and encourage them and just pour into their lives. I, um, I taught middle school as well. And that was just, I taught high school too and worked with elementary age kids, but middle school was my favorite. 
Isn't it fun? I didn't know that you taught, Erica. What did you teach? I did. I taught Spanish. Oh, cool. Neat. Yeah. I taught, taught Spanish and um, mainly with middle school students, and they were just so much fun. I remember when I first started teaching, mm-hmm. people were, would tell me, oh, I was going to teach high school and middle school the same year, and people would say, oh, you're going to hate middle school, but you're going to love high school, and it was actually the opposite for me. I loved middle school. I do, too. They were just They're just a wonderful... They're so questioning of themselves and of the world and just so curious and weird and funky. And I loved all of it. (laughs) Yes, that's very true. Well, so you kind of mentioned that you and your husband, um, you know, you you have you foster and adopt um, children as well. And we'll we'll get to that, too. Um, Y'all have a big family. Was that something that you two discussed before marriage? not quite as big as it became, but yes, we did. <laughs> um, we had talked about this was back in the Stone Age, back when we were ta- when we were dating and getting married. Was back when um, socially zero population growth was the big deal. So we had talked about having two kids if we could have children biologically, and if um, we wanted more children after that, that we would adopt or do foster care. That's a common thing in my family of origin both formal and informal foster and adoption. My grandfather was adopted by his aunt. Um, I have, my grandmother had a brother who was not formally adopted, but they raised him as a brother. Um, There's, my brother-in-law was adopted. I have two nieces that were adopted, and then we have three children that we adopted. So when when you said, you know, if you were able to, you would have two biological children and then you would potentially foster and adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, was that just, you know, how can you walk us through the timeline of, of that, that thought process with the two of you? Um, of when we became a foster family? Um, that yeah, was... when you decided to, to officially take that path. Mm-hmm. We talked about it, like I said, before we got married. And my husband and I just talked it through and it just felt like a natural thing for us if it was to, to happen. Um, we had two kids and they were wonderful little kids and we thought we were really good parents, <laughs> which we found out we weren't quite as good as what we thought. We just had kids that were wonderful and easy. Um, but God had really led our hearts toward the fact that there were other children that needed stability, that needed love, that needed care. And so we talked about it and we prayed about it and we decided to dabble our toe into foster parenting. Um, took some courses and things and learned a little bit more about it and were able to refine what we wanted. We wanted to keep the chronological age order where our kids would still be the two oldest and then we would accept younger children. We thought maybe one or maybe two at a time and we ended up at one point with three foster children at a time, which was stretching us quite a bit, but um, it was a really hard thing to do, foster parenting, but it was also really important. And um, for us, it was part of ministry. What were some of the challenges with, um, because you said it was really hard fostering, what were some of the challenges that you experienced? We were actually... My kids didn't know what we were talking about today, but yesterday at at Easter dinner, we were talking about that and how hard it was on um, our biological kids, especially our our son. And because he said that 
he felt he got blamed for a lot of things that weren't his. When you foster children, they're not brand new. When they come to live with you, they have a whole life experience behind them that is usually not very healthy, which is why they're in foster care. Um, but they have unhealthy behaviors that they learned. For example, one of my daughters, um, when she first came as a foster child, she, we went to McDonald's and they had, this was in the days of the ball pits and we were in the ball pit and ready to go. And she tucked three or four balls in her jacket. And I asked her what she was doing. And she says, Oh, this is okay. My family before told me it was okay to take them home because they have lots of balls. Well, we had to explain that that was stealing and that wasn't okay, but she had never learned that. Um, they don't learn the, the, that telling the truth is important. That's a huge value in our family. Um, and so there's a lot of lies. There's a lot of distortions of truth and just their unhealthy coping skills that kids can learn, but they do come with a lot of unhealthy behaviors. And that was, that was difficult and, and interesting to have to navigate that road. How did that, um, you know, well, actually I have a question first before I have my second question. So you mentioned that you, at one point you fostered three children at the same time. Are those the three that you ended up adopting? Um, somewhat. There, we, there was some coming and going of all of it. Um, our first child that we fostered we, was 22 months old when he first came. And he was a handful. Um, he was with us for 14 months and then went back to his biological family, his biological mother, and was with her for about nine months before she decided she couldn't parent and asked us then to take him back. During that time, we had other children that came in and out. Some were partial sibling groups. Um, but the three that we ended up adopting, there was another sibling that because of violence between our middle daughter and the brother, um, there was just some real unhealthy behavior there. So he ended up having to go to a different family, which was really hard to do, just split up the sibling group. And then our youngest daughter was born. Um, so it was a lot of shuffling here, there, and everywhere. But um, for a while, we only had two foster kids. We had our middle daughter and our youngest daughter. And then our second son came back after several months and, and was with us from then on. Okay. When you, um, you said you also had other children that would come and, and they would mm -hmm. go back or they would leave. Um, this was not something that I prepped you with, but I have noticed there's, I know a handful of uh, women. Um, I don't know them super well anymore, but I see them like post on social media and whatnot who uh, our foster parents or were fostering children and those children were taken away and they had them for three or four years or, you know, months at a time. Mm -hmm. And then that's really hard. Yeah. And, and they mention how, or they share how, um, devastating and traumatic that is for them. Um, how did you and your husband work through those moments of when you did have to say goodbye to some kids and it was potentially forever? That is hard. Um, we went into it knowing that there was no guarantees that a child would be with us forever or w that they would most likely go on. And the goal is reunification with the biological family. If you can get the biological family to a healthier place where they have the skills and the support 
The goal is reunification with the biological family. So our goal was to provide love, security, stability, to introduce the kids to Jesus. All the children that came through our home were prayed for. They left with a Bible. Um, some of them were, one of them we had to pick up in the middle of the night because he was being held at the jail because his parents, his mother and a boyfriend, had gone on a joyride and were riding through fields in the middle of the night chasing each other in cars and just real lot of trauma. So he was with us for about three, two, three months before he went and his grandparents then had been approved for as a safe place for him to go. So they come with a lot of trauma sometimes or from real difficult situations. Our, our job as a foster family was to provide love and stability and show them what normal looks like. I think that's a good perspective, um, especially just like I, I told you that just seeing how the responses of some people, of it's, it's hard, but going in with the mindset of, you know, we don't know how long these children are going to stay or child yes. going to stay with us. But in that time, we are at the safe place and then we can teach them um, about Jesus or what, what other things that they need to know. Um, so I think that's a, mm -hmm. a good place for you to to have been. Um, when uh, uh, when you ended up ad adopting your children, um, and even in the fostering as well, how did um, that process affect all your children? Goodness, differently at different points in time. Um, eventually, especially after the adoptions. It, it became, this is our family, but it was rocky for a while. Um, accepting a new child into your home and for them finding their place within the family. <clears throat> them also learning structure, um, because a lot of times kids come into your home thinking that they're, they've had to do it all on their own and they're in charge. And can I even trust you as a parent? Um, my middle daughter, when she first came, she was almost five years old. And I remember the first day that she came with all of her things in a garbage bag, which just breaks my heart. That's often how foster children move, is they put all their belongings in a garbage can or garbage bag and bring it from place to place. And the implicit message then is, that's what you're worth. Um, but she came and she stuck her little hand on her hip and she looked up at me and she said, can I stay with you for a hundred weeks? Because my mommy's on drugs and it might take her a hundred weeks to get off drugs. And I don't want to move my bags again. So it's hard for the foster child coming into an established home. But it's also difficult then for the, the children that are already there, biological or adopted or however, with the children that are there, um, to find their, you know, the new normal with this additional person in the home. It takes time. And it takes discussion and it takes working things through and it takes boundaries and it takes um, I'm, it, a, lot of, a lot of patience, really, on everyone's part and a lot of grace on everyone's part as well. I would imagine so. And then I think just knowing really well the one daughter of yours that I do know of how that really, um, you know, builds so much character and teaches love and compassion for all your children. Um, not saying that it was super easy, but there's probably a reason why they are the way they are because of just the experience that they had with all of them living together and, and learning from you too. 
And eventually it just kind of works its way out where, um, because we, I'm, I'm glad that we chose to keep the birth order where our oldest was still the oldest. Our second child was still second child. And then the order of the others was beyond that. But it's fun to watch them when they get together, you know, um, after a time of, of stability, then learning and watching them and saying, I'm the teacher, you're the students, let's sit down and play school, or let's go out in the yard and do this, or have races on the bikes and things up and down the, the driveway. And it's wonderful to see that. And now that they're adults as well, to see them just joking and laughing. And it's a family. We came together in a different way, but we're a family. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, and then you, okay, so you, you said earlier that you, at, when you were in school, you said, I, or even as a younger, as a child, I want to be a music teacher. That's what I'm here to do. And then you became a mother and then decided I'm going to stay home. How old were you, were your children and what made you feel like, no, I need to be a full-time mom? (laughs) Oh gosh, it was because I was a failure as a working mom. When <laughs> I first was born, when Laura was born, um, I only had six weeks of maternity leave as a teacher. And so I remember the first day that I brought her to daycare and I circled the block, bawling my eyes out for about four or five times before I dropped her off at the babysitters. And she was only in, in care for about a month and a half before the end of the school year. And then I had the whole summer with her. And that was such a joy and decided during that time that I wanted to be part of my child's life. I didn't want somebody else raising her all the time. And she even took her first step at the babysitters. And I missed that. The babysitter didn't tell me, but I kind of knew. <laughs> um, and then, then when our second child came along, um, I had reduced to part-time and then even less part-time. And when our second child was born at the end of that school year, I resigned from teaching um, just because I wanted to be part of my kids' life. Changed a lot financially for us. There were a lot of things that we didn't do. Um, I never thought I was going to be a full-time stay-at-home mom until I had these little bodies that God had blessed us with. And my heart, it's like we're in your heart outside of your chest, you know, all of your love is in this this other human that you're responsible for. And so that was kind of the, the path that we went to went through to become um, full-time stay-at-home mom. You said something that I think is really important for people who might be in a similar situation where they're just trying to decide, do I stay home or not, if, they, if they're able to. Um, you said you had to adjust some things financially. I know that when I do talk with women who are considering that, they just think, oh, I can't financially because, you know, it would just be too hard. Um, Could you share some of the things that you did have to sacrifice in order to stay with your kids? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Um, We didn't do fancy vacations. We, my parents, we're very blessed that my parents had a vacation house on a lake not far from home. And so that was our vacations. We couldn't afford a lot. We didn't go out to eat like we do now. Um, we lived on a on a very limited budget, but we did a lot of fun things instead that didn't cost money. Date night, it cost everything that we could save up for just the babysitter. <laughs> and so we would do we would do free dates. We would go on picnics. We would go on walks. We would go on drives. We would walk around the lake. 
Um, we just do fun things together that cost very little. Um, I remember even times when it was exciting to go to McDonald's, and at that time um, they had the two they had value meals where you could get two hamburgers and fries and a drink, and we would split that between three of us. The two kids and myself would split that meal because that's all that we could afford. But it was such a treat. We didn't feel like we were poor. Um, and we weren't poor, poor because my husband had a job and he had a decent job. Um, but there were a lot of things that we did without. We bought clothes from the thrift store, which was so much fun because truthfully, when you buy brand new clothes, as soon as you wear them, they're used. So we would go to the thrift stores on sale days, especially, and come home with just loads of new clothes. And the kids didn't know any different. For them, that was exciting and fun. And as I said earlier, it was a lower socioeconomic area. And so it wasn't looked down upon to have not brand new brand name clothes all the time. Um, we just put value in different things, in doing family things, in playing games in the yard, in, in spending time with each other and being creative. Yeah, those are, I think those are huge points of, you know, you have to, if, if it is something, you know, for other people, if that's what they want to do, you know, if they're in a, a, a husband, you know, double parent uh, family where they're mm -hmm. able to stay home or one is able to stay home that, you know, if you're really wanting it, you are going to have to be okay with being uncomfortable in something or giving up something. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I understand. You change your, yeah, you have to look at what where do you want to spend your time? Where do you want to spend your energy? And where do you want to spend your money? What is important? Because if you're both working, you're paying for babysitters and child daycare and all that. And that's really expensive too. When we looked at it, um, we weren't really that much ahead when I was working when we were paying for all the child care. Yep. Have to factor, factor that in as well. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. When, so, so you decide to stay home and then you have, you know, you stay home with your two children mm -hmm. and then you guys start fostering an adoption. And then you have this decision at some point in the mix of all this, I'm going to go back to school. When did that happen? And why did that happen? And how? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Because someone spoke life into me. And I think that that's something that's really important is that we encourage each other. And when we see someone doing, where we just see a gift within them to call that out. And that's what happened with me. I was teaching in a, although I was a full-time stay-at-home parent, I was also, like I said, leading worship. I was teaching adult classes at church and doing things like that. And my best friend's husband um, was a counselor. And in fact, he was uh, a, a manager or a, a boss of, of some counseling areas. And he saw stuff in me and he said, you would be really good at this. And so we started talking about that and exploring the possibility of it. And he called out those things. He said, you know, when you're sitting after class talking to the people who want to talk things through, they're doing that because they see something in you and you're, you're providing good insight and, and good advice. You'd do even better if you did it <laughs> formally. And so he suggested that I go back to school our local junior college had um, some classes and he said, go take abnormal psychology and see how you think of that class. So I did. And 
abnormal psych is really odd, but it's so <laughs> much fun. And I loved it. So I took that and went from there. Um, went on and, and got some prereqs that I did not have in, with my bachelor's in education. So I took a couple of extra classes at our local junior college, applied for a program that fit, fit my schedule with five kids and a husband and a household and all of those things to, to manage, I couldn't go to class during the day. So I found a program that fit non-traditional students and it was an hour away. I drove and two, three nights a week, I would go to class, sometimes on a Saturday. Um, but as I said earlier, I did it part-time rather than full-time. And so it took me longer than traditional student to get through it, but it fit with my lifestyle and with my kids. I loved it. It was, there's a, a verse where it says to fan into flames the gift that's within you. That's what the, the schooling did for me. It fanned into flames what God had already put within me and as, has allowed me to do this wonderful job. Wow. Well, and I think that's wonderful that your friend's husband saw this in you. And I think that should be an encouragement for other people too, when they see something in one of their friends yes. or somebody they know to speak that into them. But so when he said that to you, you know, did you automatically agree with him and say, yes, I'm going to do this? Or did, were there doubts or what, what were some of the thought processes that you had? I tend to be a bit of an adventurer. I like to try new fun things. And so I thought, well, sure, I'll go take that class, just if nothing else, to learn something new. And I did. And um, it just, from from the, the get-go, it just, it made sense. It resonated. It just felt right. Because those were things, even as a teacher, that I was doing when the kids would stay after school and they'd want somebody to pour into them through foster care. We'd talk with the biological parents and they'd want that encouragement and that advice. And it was just a lot of those kinds of things that people did for me that, that built up that, that confidence maybe, um, that I could do this. And so that's what led it. Okay. Well, when you started, um, how old were your children? Uh, when I started grad school, my youngest was nine months old. Um, and so Laura, my oldest was almost 11. She was 10 and a half. And then by the time I finished, it took five years. So my youngest was in kindergarten and my oldest was 15 and a half. Okay. So that was a long time though, from when you left your full-time job, that was what, almost, mm -hmm. was it nine, 10 years? It was probably closer to 12, I'm thinking. I don't remember. Okay. It's been a long time. I'm old. <laughs> but you're more than your age, Kathy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Wow. So that's also pretty fascinating because that's a long time. And then you had taught for X amount of years. And so from when you went to your undergrad to starting your master's, like you, it's a long time to be away from school. Was that, was that difficult or challenging? It was weird <laughs> because I was used to being the teacher. And so I went back to the classroom and um, raising my hand to talk instead of being the talker was kind of weird. But in my master's program, it was a lot of non-traditional students. So when I started my master's program, I was 30, 
five and a half ish, something like that, 35, 36. And most, I was an average age in my class, most of my classes. The oldest person in my class was um, in their 60s, which was really interesting. And there was also, there was another woman who got her master's degree in counseling as well, who was a mother superior. And we didn't even know that she was a nun until we'd been in class together for like two semesters. (laughs) Wow. it It was interesting. Yeah. I bet that was interesting. Well, so, okay, and your answer may be different now because you had a lot of people that were in, you know, around the same age, but did you ever struggle Mm -hmm. with the idea of starting something new at a later season in life, plus having kids and, you know, post bachelor's degree and everything? Did you, did that ever, was that a struggle for you? And if so, how did you push through those difficult moments? Um, I have really good examples. My parents are people who never stop learning. My dad's 85 and he still loves to, he still works all the time. And um, they've, they've set that example of, of being a lifelong learner, of always pushing yourself to try something new. My dad just last summer at age 84 was still ziplining, you know, so <laughs> in, in my family, we don't worry as much about, um, defining yourself by your age it's what what do you want to do what can your body do what can your brain do keeping yourself entertained and active is really a large part of it for and I think that's what it was for me it didn't seem like a scary thing because that example had already been set for me to my dad got his master's degree after we had two they had two children um I remember going to Arizona in the summers while he was going to, to grad school as a, when I was a young child. So that example had been set. The scariest part was um, trusting my husband to <laughs> not kill the kids while I was gone. <laughs> no, he, he was wonderful. And that was really important too. Um, for those five years that I went to school in the evenings, he was on full-time dad duty. He'd come home and I'd be out the door. So that was, he did a lot of, of parenting. Um, two to three nights a week, he was in charge of, I'd have dinner ready, but he was in charge of the rest of the evening because I wouldn't get home until late at night. So having a good support system is important. I was going to say, yeah, that's huge to have that support. And that's really neat that both your parents were an example of, um, you know, still pursuing and and lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. And I love that your dad just went zip lining (laughs) the other day, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know. It is fun. (laughs) Side story, my husband, um, he met your um, dad I don't know, probably at some gathering, maybe a wedding or I, I don't know, but yeah. he met your dad and he, he, he likes him a lot. He's like, he wants to get to know him better. And his, his name's Richard, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So is my yes. husband. So he's like, Oh, good old Richard. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I think they, they have a lot of interest as well. Well, um, okay. So you, you know, while you had your kids in elementary school through graduation, looking back, would you change anything about the timing of your degree and your new career? No, no, I wouldn't. I think that coming at counseling from a later point in life with a little bit of life experience behind me really helped a lot. 
um, had I gone into counseling as, right out of, of undergrad, I learned a lot during those years of um, raising my children, being a foster parent, dealing with people that were very different from me, the biological parents of the children that we fostered, um, teaching, seeing kids who were from a different background than what I was from, learning just how to deal with life. Coming at it later, I think, was a benefit. Well, and even now, too, you're 20 years removed from your first years of counseling. What would you say to year one or year two, Kathy, about <laughs> counseling and this new career? I got some of the best advice early in my career from my mentor. Um, she was a pastor's wife, and she was also a counselor who had been doing it for a very long time. But she gave me some of the best advice, and I have to keep reminding myself of it over and over. And she said, know what your job is and what your job is not. Um, I, I came to her because I was struggling. I was working with this couple of clients that just weren't making progress like I thought they should. And she said, Kathy, you're trying to do God's job. She said, your job is to provide good counsel. You can't fix anybody. That's their job between them and God. Don't step in and try to take God's job. That was good. And I, that, to me, is the best advice as I move through my career. I was encouraged to do it well and to do it wisely in a way that worked with my family. So I started out just working a few hours a week when my kids were in school. And so I was there to get them to school. I was there when they got out of school or shortly thereafter. Um, and that worked very well for us. And then going on and as, as time went on and, and my career grew and changed a little bit, um, being aware that my first responsibility is to self-care Sometimes as a young counselor, I didn't take as good a care of myself maybe as I should have. That is crucial. If you're going to be pouring into somebody else's life, you need to care for yourself and make sure that you're well-centered in who you are and in your faith and in the Lord. After that, then you can make sure that your family is well cared for, that things are good at home as much as you have control. And beyond that, then you can provide good counsel. That's good. I like that. Um, this It kind of jumps into my next question. And so if you have anything different or in addition to add. Um, so my the episode I'm going to be releasing after yours, there I interviewed somebody who is in the midst right now of was, you know, staying at home full time caregiver, mother. Mm -hmm. And now she's in that year, I think it's year three of her master's degree for counseling. And so mid thirties as well. And so, um, you know, what, what could you say to encourage her and other women that are in her shoes as well as they embark on this new journey of navigating counseling a new career mm -hmm. and motherhood? Mm. Balance again, self-care and balance. If you need to, to work just while your kids are in school, you're not going to have as many clients, maybe, but you might trust that 
you need to care for your family first. If you have soccer game, if you have a dance recital, if you have stuff that you need to work your work schedule around your family, their family needs to come first. And your self-care needs to come first before counseling. Trust your gut. Um, I don't ever start a day without prayer because I'm not smart enough on my own <laughs> to, to provide counsel without the Lord. Um, that to me is, is the, the foundation of good counsel is, is again, self-care and care for, for your, your family and in your personal life, your spiritual life first. You um, kind of wanted to jump back too, because you said something that made me think I want to know this about you. When you um, you were in Illinois for um, a long time, and then you mm-hmm. guys moved, um, did you were you able to take your counseling practice virtually? Was that a thing at the time, um, or how did what did you have to do? And then what also, if you'll share with the listeners, what type of uh, counseling do you practice? When I was in Illinois, I started out working um, at a crisis pregnancy center, and I set up a counseling program there for the clients, most of whom had a lot of trauma in their background. So I did that and worked at that, again, part-time while my kids were in school. And then I went on and became an employee assistance program counselor. Um, And I did that for 10 years while I was up there in Illinois. Excuse me. And then when we moved to Texas, you have to be licensed in the state that you're practicing in. I did not do, I kept my Illinois license only until it needed to be renewed, but I knew I was never going to live in Illinois again. So I allowed my Illinois license to lapse. Um, I did not do any virtual counseling for my people that I worked with in Illinois because they were almost solely part of that employee assistance program. Um, and they would need to have someone who is within that um, provider range. So when we moved to Texas, I had to transfer my license from Illinois to Texas. And so for any counselors who are out there early in your career, when they tell you, keep a hold of all of those supervision hours forever, they really mean it. There's reason for that. Here I've been doing this forever. And transferring from Illinois to Texas I had to have all of that stuff and it was, it got a little dicey there for a minute, but it took about four and a half months, I think, to get my license transferred from Illinois to Texas. So when we first lived here, I did, I worked for another EAP company, but I was not doing counseling. I was doing um, trainings for businesses that had contracts with the company. Some of them were here in the Dallas area. Um, some of most of them were in the Austin area, um, and then when we moved from the Austin area up to Oklahoma City, I had to transfer my license again. Get I kept my Texas license active, went up to Oklahoma, and it took a lot longer to get my license transferred up there because um, their board only meets one day every other month to approve new license requests. Oh. So it was it? I know it was a, that was a surprise. And it took a lot longer than I had expected to get my license transferred up there. When I moved from Oklahoma back to Texas, my Texas license was still active. And then I did do some virtual counseling for a year from Oklahoma clients. And I still, where I practice now, I'm in Argyle, Texas. Um, 
I do mostly in person, but I do some virtual as well. And just any type of counseling now? I don't do addiction counseling. I do mostly um, my area that I just love. I love working with couples um, on relationship issues, on parenting issues. I do a lot of um, grief kind of counseling. Uh, I see a lot of ladies. Um, I'm what's called a generalist, I guess. I, I do a lot of grief, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, um, just dealing with life stuff because life is hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I know your your industry is highly needed, and I think I think it's good now too that so many people um, are at least of what I'm around are talking about the importance of mental health and seeing a professional mm -hmm. and, and going often. And, yes. and so we appreciate the work that you do. Um, well, Kathy, I have one more question, and this is a question I like to ask most of my guests when they're on here. Um, and so you also have semi-answered this, but if you also have anything else to share, add on, it's uh, if you could encourage one woman who feels mm -hmm. limited based on her current season in life, what advice would you give? I think that, first of all, as women, it's really important like I said earlier, that we call out what we see in other women or in other people in general. When you see something good in someone, first we need someone who believes in us, who can encourage us, who can speak life, who can speak hope into us. So we need to be those women. We need to be those people who speak encouragement to others. But for the, if you're trying something new, go for it. It's absolutely fine. To me, there is no such thing as failure unless you fail to learn. It is important to try. If you, I don't care what it is. If you, you want to try throwing pottery on a pottery wheel, try it. If you like it, try it. Make it work. You are more than just a stay-at-home mom. You are more than just your age, as you say, and I love that, that that's part, that's the whole name of your podcast. We are not limited by our age. We are not limited by what other people think we are or capable of or not capable of. We are only limited by the Lord himself. We need to know that we can do all things through Christ, who's our strength. He is our strength. He's the one who gives us the availability. Push through the obstacles. If this is something you really want, find a way to make it happen. There's always a way. If it means that you have to trade babysitting with someone else, trade babysitting because you can't afford it. Great, trade. Do something for somebody else so that you can have the opportunity to try something new. The only thing you'll regret is not trying. Absolutely. I love that. All that you said. And I think the, I love the first thing that you said was if you see somebody, you see a gift in somebody, encourage them. And that takes the focus away from yourself. It's okay. How can I encourage the women that I'm around so that they can go and do the things that they want to do and they feel limited and let's speak that into them. And then now for myself, let's go do it. What I want to do. Kathy, this is so encouraging. Laura was right. I should have interviewed you. And I'm so, <laughs> I'm so glad I did. I appreciate you, you taking the time today. Um, thank you so much, Kathy. <laughs>
Thank you for having me. This has been, I wasn't sure what to expect, truthfully. <laughs> it has been kind of fun. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad you said yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you were encouraged by today's episode, like and subscribe to this podcast and share this episode with a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Erica Shoray. That's Erica with a C, Shoray, S as in Sam, H as in happy, O, H as in happy again, R A E. Keep striving for your goals, live fully, and we'll catch you next time on the More Than Your Age podcast.